right, folks, welcome on back to the podcast that will outlast the green grass, mostly ghostly. How's everybody doing out there? That's great. We're happy to hear that. You know what I mean? Ray, how you doing over there? Uh, not too bad. How about you? I'm doing all right. Just got a, we just got a dog recently, so it's been getting running me around the mill a little bit, getting me all beat up and trying to figure out, you know, switch up the scheduling deal. Right now he's on his schedule and he still wants to keep his schedule, but he's got to, you know, he's got to realize that he's got to deal with our schedule now. So it's, 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 it's a transition for everybody. We'll say, but it's fun. He's uh he's definitely no, no demon dog. You know what I mean? No beast from hell. I'm thankful for that. He's pretty good, pretty well behaved. Um, unlike the things in today's episode, which are the most uh, beastly of demon dogs, most hellacious, you know, not quite the best pet if you were to have a pet, you know what I mean? Uh, or to be in the presence of, to, to go even beyond pets and st- stuff like that, you know what I mean? It's, uh, you don't want to be in the presence of these things. And those things are, those are the triple D's, of course, devils, demons, and dangerous creatures on this episode of Mostly Ghostly. Now, we're keeping with the theme of keeping it uh, extra horrifying. Um, things you don't want to kind of get, you know, get it, get it, get into bed with here in more ways than one. Um, you know, we talk a lot about things on the show that you you know, you don't, you don't really want to mess with, you know, got Mothman type deal, um, which I think all these kind of can be round up and put into this big category of all the different things or the t- categories that we'll talk about today. You know what I mean? Now, Ray, have you ever had any, you know, I know you've, you, you've witnessed some, some things in your day. Um, did you, were you, I remember there's a story of somebody saying they were at a, they were at like a, a haunted location and something came through as being the devil. Now that might not, that might've been Draco, Draco paranormal. I think that might've been their episode. Um, on the, uh, the bridge, there was like Satan's bridge or something like that. And something, or maybe Ray Arnold from Metro West. Cause I remember him telling a story I think there was one time that he ever walked into a location and he got he got the vibe that he needed to leave and they left. And I remember him saying that I think he told his people, his team, that you know, they weren't leaving for those reasons of, of it being over over crazy, uh high evil energy, but they were leaving for other reasons. But it was in fact a white lie. And he said that they were hightailing it out of there because there was some heavy evil presences up in there. Um, did you ever, did you tell us a story about any like devil interactions or something coming forward as proclaiming to be the devil? Well, uh, there was a situation that had an ovulus going, the one that uh, takes energy and translates it into words. Yeah. And uh, it kept on saying in danger. And then it, kept on kind of like naming the people I was with. 
mm. saying, you know, basically like you're in danger. Or they say, who, who's in danger? And then they'd, they'd say, who? And so I finally said, okay, who are you? And they said, we are Legion. Oh. Now that, if you know, uh, in the gospel of Mark, when they asked the demon, uh, what's its name? It says, we are Legion for we are many. Yeah. Um, I didn't stop what I was doing. I just went into full spiritual warfare mode and slammed back at it. Yeah. And con- continued investigating for probably about another hour. And nothing happened to anybody. We had a good time. Well, there you go. That's how you make, uh, take some lemons and make lemonade in a situation like that. You know what I mean? Uh, some crazy thing. I know we've talked on the show before, like if something was to come forward as the devil, you know, we've had the discussion about if, if a, a lower demon would, would and could portray himself or if he would be insulting, you know, his higher ranking officer, um, by claiming to be such things, you know what I mean? But to have an actual, do you think like the, that that do you consider the devil to be like uh, God in the sense of how God is everywhere at all times? Is the devil that way too, supposedly, or is he more of just a singular singularity type uh, presence? Now, there's lots of theological debates on that as to uh, the power, but I would probably say that multiple places are not a, are not difficult for that negative energy we call the devil yeah. to be in. Uh, to be in multiple places is not a problem. Yeah, I agree with that. I think he's in multiple places. It is this the energy thing, and it's everywhere. Um, yeah, I'd have to agree. I'd have to agree with that myself. And the demons, we got demons. Ain't no stranger to the mostly ghostly discussion board over here. Um, you know, lower, a little lower level than the Deval. and uh, we got. Uh, dangerous creatures. You'd kind of think to yourself in a spiritual world, you got the devil and you got demons and that's kind of it. Like, you know, you got the, the devil's patent. The demons are all the foot soldiers. And when you think dangerous creatures, you have like the hounds of hell, like the dogs, you know. I guess you would even put like the chubacabra and like things on that, you know. Dijin, you know what I mean? Probably in there for dangerous creatures. Um, the Suedo Monarchia Daemonum. Okay. Just saying that, I felt like I was going to open up a portal. So I won't say it again. But it's also known as the false hierarchy of demons, which we're about to pop up into this. Uh, it's a great compendium from the 16th century dictating the names of 69 demons. The title itself, now 69, you know, back in the day, there's, there's, a, there's a sexual act, and I'm not being funny, um, called the 69 situation. And I wonder if because of back in that day, just the idea of doing something other than regular, regular to have baby sex, I think would be considered blasphemy, would be considered extreme perversion. You know what I mean? Um, you think that that 69 plays anything into this 69? It could. It's also an odd number, and odd numbers um, in certain circles are associated with the evil. Yeah. Even though if you go into several esoteric or mystical traditions, the odd numbers are power numbers. Yeah. 
So if you have a church that's trying to suppress the uh, mystical powers, then they're going to pick an odd number to call it evil. Yeah. Yeah, the six and the nine, like you said, that you can break that up into the threes and the triangular. It's, uh, it's all ties in. It all ties in. Um, now, the title itself indicates that the demonic monarchy depicted in the text is false. In many ways, an insult to those who uh, determinedly believe in the demons of hell. The list initially appeared as an appendix to Johann Weyer's first book about demonology and witchcraft. That was called, and I'm, excuse my uh, pronunciation, I might not do the best job right now. De Prestigilis Demonum et Incantationbus Ac Beneficici. Uh, I got a, there's a weird black hole that just opened up in my, my office area, Ray. Should, is that a problem? Is that going to be an issue? It's sucking yeah, all my, yeah. sucking all my DVDs and records into it. My books are blowing around. Um, now it was said that, said by the author himself to have been inspired by an earlier text discussing spirits and demons which, as we know, goes back to the beginning of time. Um, it's interesting to think of the first generation that had to deal with death as an, a thing, like the first civilization. Um, it's kind of a crazy thing, but you also wonder if you wonder if people got spiritual before death came into the picture, or do you think it popped off after death came into the picture? And I know we're talking about a super small group of people here because it would be like the first people to witness death, which is the first people, you know what I mean? But what would your take be on something like that? You think spiritualism was there before death or you think when people died and opened up their mind to think, oh, there's, there's gotta be another something else or, or there could be something else. I'm not going to put down early people by saying they weren't sophisticated enough to, um, see that there's more than this life. I would say that some of your early cultures, uh, going way back, uh, early societies, they were very spiritual. Yeah. They, they saw this life as more than just a physical body. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very interesting stuff, like the chicken and the egg type deal, what came first. You know, Weyer's work, uh, not its predecessors that came to be known by renowned uh, psychoanalyst Sigmund Freud, you know, he's one of the biggest in the game, um, as one of the ten most significant books of all time. So that's some high praise. That would get a little gold stamp if that was released today on the corner of the cover to tell you that Sigmund Freud was down with your book. Some would say that's more important or just as important, important as if Oprah Winfrey was to give her a stamp of approval on your book. Now, the son of a civic service merchant, Johan Weyer, was a Dutch doctor and an occult practitioner born in the Netherlands in 1515. You know, I think I want, there's got to be some connection there, of course, with doctors and dealing with death so much where you think that they would really start to question occult tactics and otherworldly, afterlife-type things. Um, I wonder, like, you know, Doctor, it's kind of the science and the religion thing a little bit, but 
I assumed that they would have, when it first when they both first kind of started out, I think they dabbled more in almost believing in the other side. You know, probably more so than now, definitely, I'd say. In fifteen fifteen, the Netherlands. It was a good time to be in the Netherlands. Uh, well-versed in Latin from a young age, Wire quickly became a student of Henrik Cornelius Agrippa. He's a famous magician, uh, theolog- theologian, and occultist in Antwerp. Agrippa, uh, similarly, published on demons as his student would one day do, but did not have much time to pass on his teachings before passing away when Weyer was only 19 years of age. It appears that Weyer's fascination with magic began while working under Agabo, but later escalated after he became a doctor in his own right. He was summoned to a particular fortune teller's court case and thereby asked the judge for an advice on the topic. The court case started uh, his interest in searching, uh, researching witchcraft, the witchcraft way of life, culminating with his decision to attempt to defend those who were accused of practicing. Uh, that's kind of a, a tough spot to be in, too. You know what I mean? Defending, you know, defending the people that are accused of witchcraft and such. And it's very interesting. You think there was a lot of like. Uh, you know, law officials and such that were trying to, you know, had to take the position. I think it was just more like in his situation, you know, he, he seeked it out. Like he wanted to help them. He's probably, he's pretty lucky. He didn't end up on the rack or hanging by his neck himself, burning, you know, burning up. What do you think? Uh, I agree. That was a dangerous thing to do because the number one uh, power around at that time was the church. And if you disagreed and you went that witchcraft route, uh, you get burned at the stake, hung. Uh, you're in a lot of trouble. So that was a very risky thing to do. Uh, back in that time, and even for a while afterwards, there were a lot of famous people, uh, some scientists and others, they were closet alchemists. Yeah. They believed and they practiced, but uh, they would not go public because it would ruin their whole life of their career. Yeah, it's true. You know, it's almost, I think of like, when I think of this guy, or not, not you know, his position, I think of a, like, a, you figure like if there was a guy that they all gave crap to and they made fun of him and they didn't, they didn't like, they almost didn't want to give him like respectable, respectable trials or people to defend in a way. You know what I mean? I, I almost get the, I envision like, a lawyer who's a drunk who they kind of laugh at. So when they see this guy, they kind of laugh off the fact that he wants to, have, oh, he's crazy, but they like him. So they don't want to hang him up. It's a very thin line to ride right there when you're, uh, you know, you're trying, you're defending people that are being accused of witchcraft um, continuously. He had to have had some type of friendship or something because I feel like. The wrong person without a friendship would be Gonzo in a situation like that, you know. And I, 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 I didn't thought they got much of a trial, anyways. You know what I mean? I thought it was just a trial by fire type deal. But uh, twenty-seven years after this case, when Weyer uh, was sixty-two years of age, he published his appendix to *De Prestige Demon et Incantibios et Beneficios*. Uh, in aforementioned Suedo Monarchia Daemonum. 
You know what I mean? Which is, uh, you know, there's some definitely some there's some pics out there on the web floating around um, of some of this stuff. Uh, definitely some old stuff. It looks like it's binding in human binding in human flesh. It's old leather. You know what I mean? Um, this is a book that if you see it savers, you want to grab immediately. Uh, before the guy with the little scanner scanner on his phone comes to sell it for a million dollars on eBay, you want to kind of get it for the the, the three ninety nine. Um, it's out of print. It's long out of print. You know what I mean? Well, especially the OG copy. That's something you're definitely going to want to get your hands on. What's the oldest book that you own, Ray? I know you're a man of books. Oh, I don't know. I would probably have to say, well, there's two of them. Uh, one is an old Bible. I don't know how old it actually is. Yeah. Um, all I know is that uh, if you take a look at the binding, the print, and everything in it, that's yeah. not something you're going to find anywhere. And a also, I have a copy, an old copy of The Life of Washington. Oh. Now, this one predates, uh, this one goes to early 1800s. It's uh, fairly early printing, and it was around the time that supposedly Lincoln actually uh, read uh, this particular version about Washington. That's cool. Now I, got, I got that one tucked away. In the vault. That's in the what? vault. It's in the vault. The um now with that older Bible, have you given it the, the the once over? You give it a good read? I'm curious if uh there's stuff in there that isn't in later Bibles. Um No, I haven't given it a thorough study. Yeah. I, I just uh, I had the chance to get it and I got it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That's how I feel about records. You know what I mean? You get a chance to get it. You don't know when you're going to get it. You see it again in the wild. You got to grab it. You know what I mean? But, yeah, I'd be very curious to kind of do a little, you know, go back and forth with a modern Bible and see what, what made the cut. You know, I think one of the trickiest things about things like the Bible is, you know, it's been passed down from so many, you know, forever. Um and it's gone through times where people, you'd be killed for b reading it. You know what I mean? So with situations like that, we all know that people like to rewrite history. You know what I mean? To make themselves look a little better uh, or to clean up messes and stuff like that um, or to sway uh, the opinion of people. Um, so the idea of like that, that, I always think about stuff like that. Like I'm very curious to see. You know, I'm sure that thing holds what they would call fluff that they cut out. I'm sure that that holds some stuff in there that didn't quite make it to the, the newer one. Was that pre-King James version, or is that... Uh... Uh, no. King James version was the first English version. King James version was actually translated by a, a guy named John D. He was commissioned by the king to write a Bible for the common people. Hmm. Because everything was in Latin before that. So he wrote the first uh, English version on the king's instruction so that the common people could understand it. Yeah. He's, he's the editor. Uh, 
he was he was an editor. And so he <laughs> so he kind of did an edit, and then he had the king was the the king was the um the publisher breathing down his neck, being like, "You need to take that out. That ain't going. That ain't making. That ain't gonna make my day as easy as it was yesterday." Type deal. Very interesting. Well, the other yeah. the other thing about John D. Very few people know he was a closet alchemist. Okay. So, so he was a little bit into alchemy and some of the, some of the other arts, but he kept it hidden. But he was one of the one of probably one of the most learned, particularly in languages at that time, which is why he got the commission from the king to do it. Yeah, it's all who you know. That's what we're learning in, in this episode. It's all who you know. Now, the Suedo Monarchia Daemonum, the book. Uh, was purportedly intended uh, by Wire to insult and poke fun at the idea of demonic hierarchies, which is were said to worship at that time. So there you go. That's all you always got to be careful when you're poking that fun. When you're poking fun, maybe that's the curse that he got from that, is that him poking fun uh, turned into a reality that uh, now he's kind of, you know, has to hold some responsibility for um, this work claims that while demons and the monsters from hell could have illusionist power over people, uh, the affected people were not the witches on trial. The mentally ill, as Weyer stated, but rather the magicians who played tricks on common folk for an easy coin. You know, you could kind of, that's, that could mean a whole bunch of things, and that's where you can even bring that all the way to modern day um, stuff. Somewhat ironically, however, Wire's text told the readers how to summon and bend the demon spirits to his or her will, as a theoretical witch would actually do. So, yeah, that's troublesome, teaching them how to do it, and uh, how to summon and then bend the demon spirits. Now, bend the demon spirits, I assume, is kind of make them work for you, maybe? Is that what that means? Yeah. That that's basically what it is. It's similar to uh, when you supposedly there are power stones and rituals to command and control jinn, which some people there are two different types of jinn. Uh, they do walk among us. And one of them is supports mankind. One hates mankind. But supposedly you can summon and you can control them. And it's the same thing that uh, he's trying to do with that. Now I look at it as one of two things. He's either making fun of it or. Uh, on the surface, he's making fun of it to be able to get it out there. But anybody who can read behind, uh, between the lines, they're going to see that, they're going to see the rituals, and they're going to go, aha, so this is how you do it. And meanwhile, the authorities are saying, ah, that's okay, this, this book just uh, makes fun of them. We'll let, it go. we'll let it get out there. But he's actually spreading the knowledge of how to control them and how to interact with them. Yeah, there's like that spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down type deal. You know, you got Doctor Strange Love, the Stanley Kubrick films, a lot like that, where it it you know, if you took comedy out of that film, it would have been too real and people would have been upset at that time. But the fact that there was comedy in it kinda made it work. You know, it was a great film, but it made it work for like society to be able to take in and be like, Oh yeah, I guess like it is just a madhouse and nobody actually knows what they're doing type deal. Same way, more currently, there was a film that just came out called Don't Look Up with Leonardo DiCaprio and, you know, a bunch of cool folks. And it's about, 
um, you know, a comet coming. And uh, which, you know, every couple of years, there's always a worry of some comet that's supposed to hit us. And on this show before, I think we've even talked about the realities of whether or not, you know, the powers that be would tell us if something was coming or if they even should. Um, but it's kind of one of the, it's, it's got a Dr. Strange love vibe and almost like what he was trying to do where it d- try and dishes you an incredibly serious subject with, with jokes and stuff. People could say that that's like half the shows on the Boombastic media network. You know what I mean? Um, but that's kind of the vibe that I get with this book too. Uh, and it's a weird thing, you know, do you think for somebody to build, make something out? So do you think he would read between the lines? You think he was just kind of a master genius that was putting the message out there and scattering maybe some fluff and some jokes around it, knowing that, you know, it would reach the right people. I tend to go, I tend to go with that. It's kind of like he puts it out there going, ha ha ha. Look at, look at these silly people that say this to to summon a demon and other people say, uh-huh. Okay. Now we know how to summon the demon. Thank Thank you for the info. Yeah. And the, the, author, the authorities are saying, oh, look, he's making a joke while the rest of the people know it's not a joke. It also reminds me a little bit of that, uh, like that sitchel magic stuff that we talked a little bit about, uh, in the last earlier this season, I think it was where like, um, powers that be, they, they don't feel guilt of doing terrible things because they kind of warn people that they're going to do it. And the fact that they warn people, show, you know, show them somehow, that clears their conscience. Well, if they really didn't want it to happen, they would have stopped me type situation. It almost has that vibe to it a little bit, too. You know? yeah. well, some, some of the artwork in this is uh, some crazy stuff. Um, way way ahead of its time. It could be like a Marilyn Manson or a Slayer album cover. It could be an album cover for one of our one of our many bands that we've created on the Mostly Ghostly Show throughout our years. Um, one of them uh, is is uh, you know is a skull. It's almost like a bat human, a skeleton of a bat human with like uh, a scorpion tail. It's quite interesting. And, it, you know, there's a chart, and a, a, there's a big circular, almost target around it. It's got these weird stamps with different languages and, like, this multi-pentagram type thing. There's some writing in there. Very uh, creepy stuff. It reminds me a lot of something you'd catch in, like, the Necronomicon. Um, I never read the original, the OG print Necronomicon, but in the, in the Evil Dead version for any horror fans out there. Uh, in the, the, the Evil Dead franchise, they have a ne- Necronomicon in the book. The pages in the book look a lot, uh, are probably based off of this, because it looks a lot like uh, like this stuff, for sure. Now, why is uh, his book ended up the inspira- uh, up in, as an inspiration itself, leading to the writing of The Lesser Key of Solomon, in which one section called Ars Geotia discusses 72 demons evoked by the ancient King Solomon. Um, 72, so it bumped up a couple. Now, King Solomon, what do you know about King Solomon and his, his, his uh, dealings with the supernatural? Uh, King Solomon out of the Bible, 
um, he was a great king. He built the first temple. What he did was he had a he had a uh, ring of power. Yeah. And uh, using that ring with the seal of Solomon, the seal on it, he was able to command both angels and demons to build the temple. Huh. So he he built the first temple there. Um, and he used supernatural powers uh, to be able to do it, Control, controlling the other entities from the supernatural world to build the temple. It almost sounds like you sell your soul. You sell your soul, and they give you this, uh, that's your pendant. You know, it's, there's a film called Needful Things that has a vibe of that a little bit. Uh, well, Solomon, Solomon is one of the great prophets of the Bible, so he was a holy man. Interesting. And he built the first, the first temple being the first Jewish temple. Hmm. I mean, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, eventually, uh, you know, the line of David and Solomon. So that is the positive side of it. And he was able to combine, command uh, the entities, the supernatural entities, to build a temple or the house of God. So he, he did it in a, uh, in a different way. So kind of play he he was able to play both sides a little bit or uh he he was given the power to command both sides just to command them yeah all right very interesting stuff um like I said there was four more than uh Weyer talked about the purpose of his subsequent book is to act as a grimoire also known as a spell book to provide the reader with important facts about demons that might be summoned, each as what they look like or what abilities they might have. Scary stuff. It was a popular practice in the 16th uh, through the 18th century to write about demons and demonology, largely due to the fact that the accusations and witchcraft were being cast about left and right. Scholars like Weyer and King James, uh, the first of Scotland and the uh, sixth of England, were determined to understand the forces they may or may not possess. However, it's easier to understand what you don't possess than what you do possess, I guess. Um, However, unlike most other authors, such as King James, Weyer's intention was to create a creed to vet out the accused who were in fact innocent, because as he claimed, the witches were mentally unstable. You know, that is kind of a great argument that you can take on it. That's really kind of the only argument that you can really take on it, is that you can't blame them for their actions. If you can get somebody, you can get a jury to go, no, you're right. We can't blame them for your actions. Then you're good. You're off because, you know, it's almost like a common sense deal that if somebody was unable to, you know, if someone was crazy or whatever, mentally ill, we'll say, I think they prefer mentally ill, um, that you would definitely you know, you'd give them a little more leeway. You know, there'd be more pity on them other than just a reasonably, someone who's like, makes reasonable decisions, just killing a bunch of people because they felt like, you know. While the the magicians were doing the physical act of magic, um, 
he that's what he was doing. You know, how helpful Weyer's efforts for the accused witches were remains to be unseen. You know, we don't quite know if it was worthwhile. Um, maybe he never won a case because you almost feel like if not just helping the accused, but making them, saving them would even be a bigger issue uh, for a bigger problem for him. Um, you know, it's one of those things. Yet there, there's evidence that his pleas for their mercy went ignored most of the time, which I can understand that. It seems that regardless of the scholarship put in declaring the supposed witches, fear was far more powerful motivating factor for the court and juries, uh, the court judges and juries. And I'm with that. I'm definitely with that. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's definitely a tough thing, man. They'd rather deal with, again, O.J. Simpson off. It was easy to get O.J. Simpson off, speculated. If he did anything, we'll speculate. I never read his book, so I don't know if he did it. Um, but, yeah. O.J. could run a football, though. That's why they didn't burn O.J. at a stake. Um, but it was we really, yeah, it's, it's some interesting stuff, you know. They were, uh, yeah, going way back, and the mentally unstable aspect to that really is the only one you can really take. But I guess you could blame that anything on that, you know what I mean? You could, you could, you could claim that seeing a ghost is mentally unstable. I'm sure there's people out there that think that if, if you were to say, oh, I've seen a fucking, I've seen a poltergeist like floating down my hall, they'd be like, you need to go to a hospital. You know, there's people like that. Now, whether or not they really believe it or it makes them feel comfortable to say those things, that's the true question. But they're definitely out there for sure. Now, I want to pop into the, these demons a little bit. Uh, these 72 demons from King Solomon, 72. It was 72, right? I think. Yep. Yeah. It's definitely uh, one of those deals that we can roll through. We don't want to take up too crazy of a time um, because... You know, this is the mostly ghostly show. We don't want to kill you off. Kill anybody off on there. But the 72 demons were kings and princes, which King Solomon commanded into a vessel of brass, together with their legions uh, for this group, Belial, Bilith, Asmodee, and Gap. Well, those are high, high up evil entities, if I remember correctly. There were chiefs, and it is to be noted that Solomon did this because of their pride. So a deep pride would, you know, in a godly world, you're not supposed to be proud. So on the flip side, you must be, you know, pride, ego, you know, some of those things that destroy civilizations and humanity uh, come from the dark side of things. For he never declared other reasons why he bound them. When Solomon was uh, when Solomon had bound them, sealed the vessel, he by, he by divine power chased them into a deep lake or a hole in Babylon. The people of Babylon, wondering, uh, wandering to see such a thing, went wholly into the lake 
to break the vessel open, expecting to find great treasure within. But when they had broken it open, the chief spirits immediately flew out with their legions following them. Uh, they were all restored to their former places except for Belial, who, en- who entered into a certain image and as such gave answers till the- to those who uh, did offer sacrifices to him and worshipped his image as their god. Do you know what type of picture he went into off the top? No. No. We should have brought that up on our haunted painting episode, almost. So the image, they get an image here, which they each, they they each have a a weird symbol. You know what I mean, for their things. Um, it's not quite, not quite. Um, they look like Jagermeister, the alcohol, which is funny. It looks like a bunch of those logos. Um, but the sig- sigils, there you go. I remember that from the, ep- the, the, the symbolism episode, the sigils, that's what they are, the sigils for all 72 demons. They get one. Um, now, no, this is going to be very long because we're going to go through 72, but we're going to try not to go as long as, uh, as long as we're going to try and cool cool our jets a little bit. I don't know if you want to be sitting there reading off the names of 72 demons. No, it might not, be a, might not be a good idea. Yeah, you're probably right. You're pro- I thought I heard something walking down my steps like a few moments ago, so I probably don't want to go into that place. No, I, saw you looking, I saw you looking up. I was going to ask you what it is. Yeah. Give myself the creeps. Um, but yeah, there's a whole bunch of them, you know what I mean? Uh, there's lists online if you want to go look them up. We talked about a few of them. Um, we won't go too crazy heavy with it, but yeah, for sure. I mean, it's very interesting. Do you think that he would carry anything on his soul for, for like a tarnish to his soul to, uh, for like making light and making light and like bring to the light? These things, the author, uh, possible. I think that uh, you have to entertain the thought that maybe he was in league with them to bring this all out, so that they may have another, another way to be summoned, another avenue or doorway into this world. That's true. You know, there's like a famous quote from the dude that created the the, the atomic bomb, where he's like, you know, I'm I'm. I'm the, was it the the destroyer of worlds. That whole quote, I'm sure you've heard it somewhere. Oh yeah, Oppenheimer. Yep. Oppenheimer, yeah. And like I, with his quote, you feel like the dude has like has some remorse for what he created. You know what I mean? So in like that aspect, I, I'm, I'm I wonder if that the, the author had like any type of regret like that or or something like that. I almost feel like it would, like, if we were to make a big, if we made a big movie about the devil, and, which we've made a movie about the devil before, only once, because I don't like to jive in that arena too much, but, like, if we made something that was like that, and it got a big audience of people that were like, oh, that's cool, and, like, they were worshipping or trying to summon, 
you know, or even like mostly ghostly blows up and somebody comes to our, our, comes to wherever we are and they're like, Hey, I love this show. You know, that episode you guys did about, you know, summoning the demons, like that was, you know, that was, uh, you know, I, I, I tried to do it and I have got followed around by like negative energy. I'd feel bad about that because even though I didn't tell them to do it and we always say, don't do it. I would feel slightly bad that they almost got the idea from us, even though, you know, they, they, they would have found it somewhere else on their own. And we do tell people don't do it, but I would still, I would feel still a little bad. So I, I kind of wonder if, if, if people that create these things that create, put off a lot of negative energy, because I do think that that book throws off some negative energy, even with it being, originally written for laughs and for jokes. Um, and I, I'm very curious of the, the people, these like people that create these big negative energy ordeals. And if they have any, have any like regrets about doing it in a lot of cases, it's kind of the thing that makes them. So it's almost like making a deal with the devil himself type deal. You know, it's a very weird thing. But I assume there'd have to be some type of responsibility. Even in the beginning when you're careless and you're kind of willing to do whatever to get, you know, your work out there and people to see it and eyes on it, I still think that after when the smoke clears and you look at you look at the impact of it and it's not all positive, I think that some of that negative impact that you made will kind of weigh in on you a little bit. Oh, definitely. That was a good call on not do not doing the not doing the demons, but um, yeah, you know what I mean. The, um, the, the anybody that I guess if you want to go look them up, feel free to go look them up. Just don't say them out loud. That's the advice that we give you today. You know what I mean. And uh, you know, with that being said. I think, uh, was there anything, anything else you wanted to touch base on with these things? Uh, no, the only, well, actually the only thing is the books like that are out there and, uh, you're never really sure why they were written. Yeah. You can pretty much be sure that maybe somewhere in there, there's something that you shouldn't do. Take it, take it serious. It's not all. It's not all Hollywood. are just fancy stories when people start messing with demons that uh, things go wrong. Yeah, that's very real. So when you're doing your research, if you choose to do so cautiously, take it seriously, and use some sort of protection. Yeah. the The one demon that I want to close with talking about, I thought was interesting. I won't mention any names. But he's the 33rd. Now, 33rd is a number we see pop up a lot. The Masons and stuff. It's a big Mason number. People say the Illuminati. And um, this one is known as the Great President, which I thought was very weird. I thought that was an interesting tie-in that, you know, this 33rd Demon was... The great president, you know what I mean? Because uh, you have the structure, that whole behind-the-scenes Illuminati, masonry, 
33 degree Mason type deal. So it has a, a fun tie into it. You know what I mean? But that's as far as we'll go. You know, there's articles out there. There's lists. Um, the pictures are always funky. I always enjoy the pictures. I'm like a little child. But yeah, for sure. They're out there. Protect yourself. Like Ray says, like in everything we ever talk about on the show, you got to protect yourself before you wreck yourself. You know what I mean? Um, leave them in the books, ladies and gentlemen. Leave them in the books. You know what I mean? Uh, it's the safest thing to do, the safest route to take. All right? You don't want to break yourself. You don't want to see yourself at the wake. All right? Um, heck, yeah. This was a, this episode was a little bit shorter uh, this week, roughly around the hour mark, but uh, there ain't nothing wrong with that. That means we're getting you all back to your regularly scheduled programs prompt two. And uh, if you need a little more ghostly in your life, we are approaching 100 episodes. We're probably up around 97, 96, 97, around this point. So there's plenty of material out there for you all to hear and enjoy. You know what I mean? We hope everybody had a great New Year's. You know what I mean? We got uh, we're gonna be starting up season three in uh, a handful of episodes. Uh, as always, hit up the social medias. You know, if you got a theme for an episode, you want to hear us talk about it, hit us up. You want to come on the show and talk about that theme? Hit us up. You know, you'd be very surprised um, if if you hit us up with some passion and you're passionate about a certain subject. You'll most likely end up on the show. You know what I mean? Um, and you'll be in mostly ghostly history, which is a beautiful thing. We just did a for anybody out there still in the Christmas spirit. We just the Boombastic Media over on the Boombastic Media YouTube page. Just did a Christmas special. Uh, we have Larry Hankin, you know what I mean, from Home Alone, and you know Mark Christopher Lawrence from Christmas with the Cranks, the great Tom Proctor, just beautiful stuff. Um, and we have the Patreon page for Boombastic Streaming. Get all your episodes. You would probably be able to listen to the the next the, the rest of this season if you had Patreon going tonight. You could listen to that shite tonight. But the most important thing is that everybody had a great New Year's 2022. Uh, is hoping We're hoping it to be a good one. And uh, blessings and health for everybody. And you want to say anything else in closing again? I know I already asked you once, but you want to do it again before we f- finally sign off? Uh, nope. What's that? Hey, well, with that being said... We thank y'all for listening, and uh, subscribe. Subscribe to Mostly Ghostly, wherever you listen to this show. Right when you go, right at the page where you see the episodes, there'll be a little button for you to subscribe, like, however it is. And I know that I sound like a broken record, but you will be loving life a hundredfold if you're a fan of Mostly Ghostly and you subscribe, because you won't have to wait to hear like me, I'm so bad. I haven't even shared last week's mostly ghostly episode. Now you might be saying to yourself, what's the big deal with that? Well, unfortunately, a lot of people probably catch it when I share it. 
But if they subscribed, they would have it the second, the split second, half a second. Then it drops. You're getting a notification without a beep. Nice little picture notification. No loud beeps to let you know. Mostly Ghostly's hair. And it pops off for you. Uh, you know, every Wednesday, you're getting your, your, your mostly ghostly fix. So that's all we can say about that. We hope all everybody is well. You know, they're recouping from the holidays. Stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, stay ghostly. And we'll catch you all on the next episode of Mostly Ghostly. <laughs>